The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's 2020 and Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast is still here. My name is Steven Jotter and joining me as always for the last couple of years is Armand Fai. He's coming from a location unknown in the heart of Dallas, Texas. Meanwhile, the fraudest fan you will ever meet is Jake Watroba. He is in Minnesota, St. Paul, right? Jake, am I getting that wrong? Uh, uh, yeah, kind of West St. Paul, but St. Paul works. All right, there we go. First mistake of 2020, and it's been what 35 seconds in. Yep. Cool. We're off to a great start. We're off to a great start. Yeah, listeners, plenty of changes have been made. Jake, where do we even begin? We got a new logo. We're doing a live stream every Sunday night at this hour, 8 o'clock Central Time. How exciting is this? This is great. This is the closest thing we may ever get to live radio. Yeah. So uh, I'm pretty stoked about it. Armand, how are you, how are you feeling about this, uh, this new live show we're going to do every single Sunday night starting at 8 p.m. Central Time? Well, it means we can't screw up as much, right? Like, that's, I think, the big thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, look, I, I screw up a lot when we do this. We all do. And now we got to be, you know, on our best behavior during uh, these live, you know, radio. It's not telecast. We can say tele- radio, radio cast. Is that, is that the right broadcast, word? Jake, you, you, you interrate. Oh, come on. Like, but you broadcast. call a TV thing a broadcast, too. Like, Jake, you went to radio school. What is it? It's a broadcast. Oh, man. I feel stupid now. Hey, well, listeners at Unc Sam Soccer Pod, email us. If you don't have Twitter, Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast at gmail.com. We've had plenty of your thoughts already get poured in. One of our listeners says hi, Harry. Hello, hello. Um, guys, on today's episode, we're talking about U.S. soccer and a transition into a new decade. And we will look at the Federation. We'll talk about the national teams. We'll talk about club soccer. We might not touch on it all. It's a live stream. There's going to be something said that will take us into a different tangent. Promise you that. But we'll try to get to it all. And we're beginning with this. Armand, the 2000s were quite unique for U.S. soccer. I mean, where do we even begin? How do we recap that decade? I mean, I don't know if we can recap it. I made you know a quick little list that we can you know, go through specific moments in U.S. soccer that are either good or really bad. Now, listeners, mind you, I might have missed 
a couple of things here or there. Don't come at me, you know, relax. Uh, but, I mean, can we start the 2010 World Cup and Lennon Donovan's goal against Algeria? Oh. Can we just start on that? Go, go, USA! But can we a can we goal. reflect on how important that goal was? Because the U.S. were about to walk out of that World Cup. That there, that was it. Yep. It would have been yep. one and done. Show yep. up for the group stage and then head right back home. It would have been it would have been pretty terrible if you're asking me. And it was one of the moments I think really helped me latch on to uh, U.S. soccer as a whole. It's just such an, a great moment. And going to uh, continue that theme of you know late goals by the U.S. men's national team. It's John Brooks, the 2014 World Cup game winner against Ghana. I remember watching that with uh, my family. We were going nuts, and I think you watched it too, Stephen. Oh, uh, I remember the, one it vividly. Of, one of the best moments. I have had as as a soccer fan is being in a pub with too many people cheering, singing the national anthem. The USA that you hear at the beginning of every show is from that pub. People were going berserks. It was awesome. But I think we got to talk about our women's national team, Jake. I think we have to touch on it a little bit. They won not one, but two World Cups. During a decade, I think that's a that's a pretty phenomenal achievement. Which one right is there. which one do you think is more memorable for for fans and listeners at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod? Which World Cup victory for the U.S. women was more memorable? The one in 2015 or the one that we just had last summer? I feel like it's this one that this last summer. I mean, Same. you had. It, 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 there was like so many things that went into it. There was like a political aspect that went into it. You had the women. You had President Trump tweeting about Megan Rapino and the, them going back and forth on Twitter about stuff. You had the 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 uh, the fair pay uh, issue going on too. There there was the other group of people who like almost didn't want to see the women win, and that almost uh, seemed to play a factor in how they were playing on the field, where they were just running through uh, teams. So to me, it, it feels like the this, this past summer's World Cup championship is much more memorable than the 2015 one. I I agree 100%, Jake, and especially with how the leagues have been growing uh, uh, across uh, uh, the world. I think it's a really memorable uh, victory for them. But we got to talk about some failures too, and it, this is one of the things that kind of you know brought me, Stephen, really close uh, on this podcast was when the U.S. men's national team <laughs> failed <laughs> to, to make the World Cup. Yeah, that brought us closer, uh, Armand. Yep, uh, it, it did. It still- did. Still my favorite episode of the show, and I wasn't even on it. I remember I, me and Steven had known each other at this point in time, a and I remember weeks. tweeting or text, yeah, maybe a few weeks. And yeah, you're like, the reason why Steven, we did this episode. Steven, Steven sent me, uh, you know, we, 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 we would talk back and forth for a couple of weeks, and he's like, oh, hey, I had this soccer podcast, so and I ended up listening to it. I'm like, oh, it's actually, this is decent enough. So the when the U.S. failed to qualify, I immediately text Steven like, hey, you guys, you need to do a, a podcast right now. And, he, and Steven says, no, I know, we'll do it in like a couple days or whatever. I'm like, no, 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 you need to do it right now when you're like your emotions are at like an all-time high. It will just come off great. And I don't know if I convinced you to do it or what, but you guys did it. And still today, I think it ranks up there as one of the best episodes in this podcast. So kudos to you two. Yeah, but that that genuinely soured the decade for the U.S men's national team and and for a large part for the federation oh man the question is whether or not that was rock bottom that had to been it definitely was and i think the final thing we're gonna touch upon right here outside of you know some legends uh 
getting uh, retiring from U.S. soccer is the growth of MLS. I mean, now we're what we're sitting at we have 30 teams, you know, and or it's 30 teams announced. Uh, and after almost not surviving in 2001, you have teams like Atlanta United smashing attendance records with 70k and you know breaking all these uh, barriers with transfer fees. The USL is looking kind of strong as well. Uh, I mean, it, it's been a pretty momentous decade for MLS as well. Yeah, and you mentioned the retirees: Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, Brad Friedel, Demarcus Beasley, just a few uh, of some of the most notable names and you want to talk about a backbone to u.s soccer landon donovan clint dempsey demarcus beasley even brad friedel right these guys made the u.s men's national team they cared and now we're handing it off to a bunch of kids to some degree kids right and the mood the expectation the emotion behind it completely different and jake this leads us to the question of the day Right. Listeners, question of the day at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod or Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast at gmail.com, whatever your preference is. Question of the day. We, uh, we sent a little tweet uh, a few, few days ago, but uh, to those who have followed American soccer as a whole for some time, what was being said about the state of the Federation, U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team, and domestic leagues going into the 2010 decade? And how does that compare going into uh, this upcoming decade, the 2020s, if you will? Uh, we got a few responses, one from at Kirk17. Coming out of the 2010 World Cup, there was a ton of optimism. Another response here from at Chasing a Cup, there was a ton of positivity. The 2007 Gold Cup and the 2009 Confederations Cup defeating Spain in the final versus Brazil was incredible. A lot of great and key players in Europe. We were top qualifying 2-0 versus Mexico. It was a great year, 2009. More from at Chasing a Cup. Uh, his feelings heading into uh, 2020. Uh, it's mixed. Player pool, extremely high optimism. Pulisic, unprecedented success on a big club. And tons of youth abroad. Highest volume and access to young U.S. players, MLS academies, are at a good clip. Ultimate low for the U.S. Soccer Federation, the organization, and coach. So, guys, how do you feel heading into the uh, the this this new decade, 2020, the 20s, the Roaring Twenties? Stephen, how 20s. how are you feeling oh. right now as a U.S. soccer fan? Okay, U.S. soccer fan, right? We're talking about in the grandest. The, the vaguest sense that is U.S. soccer. U.S. men's national team still feels lost. U.S. women's national team are cruising. But is the rest of the world catching up? What are we doing with the domestic league in the women's game? What about the, the pay, right? The lawsuits, the gap. What are we doing about that? Question marks surrounding the U.S. women's national team in that sense. Club soccer continues to grow. But I worry that the league is becoming slightly top-heavy. And we got to start paying players at the bottom end of the roster because the quality of play among the good teams and the bad teams is wide. And it's not a good product sometimes to watch, especially when you got stupid FC Cincinnati versus Nashville. Like, let me tell you, that brings Armand a ton of excitement, doesn't it, Armand? 
Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, hold on. Nashville hasn't even played yet. We don't even know if they're going to be terrible. Yeah, I mean, well, you know what? Oh, oh, no, no, terrible. we know. They'll be terrible. They we probably know. will be terrible, but let's let's not uh, let's just not start proclaiming things that haven't happened yet. All right, let's let's, oh, let's see okay. a game first. All right, Jake says uh, FC Cincinnati will make the playoffs, and you know, hey, hey, we're hey, on, we're on we're to the Roaring Twenties. We're on Roaring Twenties. But seriously, it just feels like there there is an unknown to this decade. And it's important. We have the World Cup coming up in 2026, hosting here for the, uh, as on the men's side. But what about the 2022 World Cup? Jake, to be fair, you question whether or not we can even qualify. Now we have a question mark whether or not it's going to be actually hosted in Qatar. So there's just a ton of unknown regarding the Federation. And... It just feels different. I remember, guys, when we transitioned from the 2000s to the 2010s, the teens, what happened in 2009? The U.S. were in the, Confeder- in the Confederations Cup final versus Brazil up to nothing. It was just a different tune. People were more invested. There was excitement for the 2014 or the 2010 World Cup. And then obviously 2014 probably was the, the peak moment for the U.S. men's national team, but I don't. I I just feel like there's a lot of question marks. What about you, Armand? Look, I this men's national team, man. It, it it's sad. It's sad because I mean I feel like there was optimism optimism coming in from 2010, but now there is no optimism. There used to be kind of a hope for this team. Now it's kind of turned to apathy, and that's the worst. People kind of don't care. We see it in the attendance numbers. I'm sure we see it in the TV numbers as well. If they make or miss the World Cup, I feel like not a lot of people will care. It's the general public. I don't think they'll care. Um, not a lot of people care about the situation right now. And I think it's the biggest thing. This national team cannot have apathy. You got to give it a reason to care. They have to beat Mexico. They got to perform in the chase. They got to bring excitement back. There is no excitement. There, there, there's none. I, I can't. I can't tell you this. Like. I'm not excited to, to watch this national national team. But is There's it, no excitement, nothing. But Armand, is it excitement or is it just the fact that people don't care anymore because it's been such a disaster? Well, here's the thing. You want if you if you want to pull people, you know, like who don't usually watch soccer, you gotta be exciting, you gotta be fun, you gotta uh, have some sort of, you know, uh, hoopla around this team. There is none. Like what what what's the all right, does anyone really apathy. talk about everything? Is apathy a lot of- a lot of apathy. No one cares, and that's that's the worst place to be in if you're if you're the U.S. I mean, as it relates to the men's side, and it, and a part of me almost thinks the the MLS almost feels that way too. I'm gonna, let me get on my high horse here. Let me get on my yeah. Quickly, we're uh, up against it. We're up against the clock here. I've said it before many times in the show. My feelings have not swayed on the U.S. men's national team. They are not going to qualify for Qatar 2022. The most as consistent long thing as... Jake has been on about is regarding yes. the U.S. men's national team. As unlike long his as Vikings. Berhalter, well, we're, we're on to San Francisco. Um, <laughs> unlike uh, As long as Greg Berhalter's in charge, they, they're not going to qualify for uh, Qatar 2022. On the women, the rest of the world's catching up. These European clubs on the men's side are now pouring money into the women's game. Uh, I, I just feel like that's going to spell bad news for the U.S. women's national team. It might not be this next World Cup, but maybe, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years in the road, you're going to start to really see, especially teams in Europe, catching up. MLS, the domestic league, feels like we're at a crossroad with this league now, doesn't it? With this upcoming TV deal? Doesn't that feel like if, 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 if MLS can get ESPN or Fox or CBS or NBC or whomever 
to invest heavily into their product, you really think it should really uh, help uh, improve the trajectory of the league. But you have to question, why would any of these networks invest heavily into a league that's averaging 200,000 viewers per national broadcast, right? I was yeah. shocked. I, Jake, I think you're spot on. Like, how can a league invest? You know, when there's League at Max, there's the Premier League that all pull it's in the third, more. It's the third. It's the third most popular league in the country, behind the Premier League and League MX. So what? To to me, it's why would uh, why would a, a network dump a ton of money into it if no one's watching it? So it just feels like U.S. soccer is a, is in a weird weird spot right now because the men's men's national team is down. Uh, the women's Unknown. national team is. is I don't know. There's just a lot of factors that play right here, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how it how it all plays out. So, before we go to break, listeners, question of the day: How are you feeling about the U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team, the domestic leagues, the state of U.S. soccer heading? into 2020 and beyond let us know on twitter at unc sam soccer pod we'll be right back Oh, yes. Welcome back. Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. We are talking today 
about U.S. soccer. We're talking about the U.S. women, the U.S. men, club soccer, development at the youth ranks. What are your expectations, your fears, your questions? Send them in at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod or at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod at gmail.com. Whatever way you can get to us. If you have our personal numbers, text us, Snapchat us, Insta us, whatever the kids do these days. And Armand, we're about to talk about what would success mean for the Federation. But before I do that, listeners, I have to warn you that Jake Watrova, our man, Jake, is the fraud, fraudest fan you will ever meet. And Armand, you want to know why? And listeners, of course, you you want to know why Jake is such a fraud? Yeah, let us know why Jake is such a fraud. So Jake apparently is a Minnesota Vikings fan. You wouldn't know that he allegedly, is, allegedly, allegedly, right, right, right. You wouldn't know that. But oh, okay. one one minute into the first quarter between the New Orleans Saints and the Minnesota Vikings, I have the timestamp, so we could actually go back and look at the exact minute of the game. There was like. 141407 or something like that. Well, there <laughs> go you go. The first quarter. Jake texts us. What did Jake text us, Armand? This is great. I love I love this. That's that, game or something like that. It's it's the game. This dude quits like you wouldn't believe on his teams. There is no sense of fandom. There is no sense of optimism with Jake Watroba. And it's the same thing with the national team and Jake Watroba. This one is over. That's um, what he texted. And then and then I text him, Jake, you give up so easily. I was about to say, that's Armand. Jake, you're both falling for it. Unbelievable. How can you, how can you follow seen sports it. if you have that type of... I've seen the script. I've seen the script so many times in my life. Uh, I did not think they would beat the Saints. Uh, we're focused on the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, is there any questions about the San Francisco 49ers? No, I do have a question about the U.S. soccer since you are Mr. Negative over there. Uh, what would success mean for the Federation? Like, what is your standards, Jake? I mean, I'm considering they must be very low if you're always going to put a negative spin on something. Uh, what are my standards? My standards are very low as it relates to my favorite teams. Uh, they'll be high when one of my favorite teams wins something. No, no, I'm talking then... about the U.S. Federation. I'm talking about U.S. Soccer. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The Skype t- connection cut out for me, so oh. I, th- I thought we were still on the Viking stock here. Uh, okay, sorry. So my standards for the U.S. Uh, for the national team that we're, that we're talking about, or club soccer, clubs, just U.S. soccer as a whole. Maybe break it down. Let's let's break it down. Let's just begin. Okay. With, uh, club soccer. Let's do club soccer. Okay, first and foremost, in this country. I think we really need to. I think a club needs to win the Concacaf Champions League, right? That's that's probably a good place to start, right? Once you guys, once you, once you say, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you're guess. setting that's that's part of the requirements as far. Well, okay, as... hey, 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 Rome's not built in a day. Rome is not built in a day. No, here, no, okay? but I'm saying within this decade, part of the requirements to have a successful growth of club soccer in this country would be one of the MLS teams winning CONCACAF Champions League. What would it be if a Canadian MLS team won it, like Toronto or Montreal? Well, okay, this is the, the reason why I'm, I'm pointing to the, to the CONCACAF Champions League is I think it's a good measuring stick to uh, to show where your quality is in the league. And, and Stephen, you kind of hit on it. The bottom, t- bottom portion of a lot of these rosters are, are bad. And you, there's an argument to be made that the, the rosters in the middle part, you could say guys – 4 through 11 is also pretty thin too. 
And when those guys four through 11, when you improve that portion of the roster, you're probably more likely to win a CONCACAF Champions League. And I think that would that would be a good start. I think that would that would show that, hey, the, the, the league has has caught up to at least one of the clubs or maybe two of the clubs or whatever have, have caught up to Mexico, if you will, and are now able to compete with them and, and hoist a trophy. Uh, Paul Tenorio speculated this earlier uh, this week uh, about Tam going away in MLS uh, for this season, which is that's so that's typical MLS to just make up new rules two months before the season starts. Um, to me, if, if the league could pair getting rid of Tam, if that meant there's more spending on the overall roster, I think you might see, you might see a better quality sides here and you, you might not have to suffer through watching FC Cincinnati slug one out with uh, Nashville uh uh, SC or whatever we're calling Nashville here. So, so Jake, but so obviously winning a regional tournament would be important. Question for you, and this is gonna get all the MLS bobos up. Their panties are gonna be all tied up. Pro rel, pro rel. Are we looking at any implementation of that, even at the USL level? We're we're talking in the grand scheme. I know we like to focus on MLS, but we're not gonna fo- uh, forget about USL and. Let it be known, there has been reports that the league USL is looking at actually implementing some sort of promotion relegation. I mean, it's not reports. It's the it's the president coming out and saying at the uh, at the championship game, yeah, we're looking into it. So I mean, like, there you go. Like, it, that's as serious as you can get. They want to look. At, they want to look into it. Now we'll be implementing this decade. Honestly, I can see it. I don't know about y'all, but I can see it. Like by 2028, 2029, maybe. Sort of tail yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's potential. Listeners, let us know. Do you think promotion relegation at some sort of any implementation would be possible for this decade, Jake? So obviously, you want more spending, you want better quality players. But Armand, what are the big problems facing club soccer in America? Well, uh, I have I have some stuff written down, but. I want to touch upon this first. Guys, we don't have a CBA agreed upon yet. Let's not forget about that. There's no CBA agreed upon. And, you know, uh, if they get rid of TAM, that's because of the CBA. A lot of all of the players they talk about, or players unions, whatever, talk about TAM not helping, like, the middle-class uh, uh, MLS player. And that's one of the reasons why they want to get rid of uh, TAM. But some of the other problems we can talk about is the growth of MLS. Like, like damn, this league is growing fast. Is it growing too fast? And, you know, with all these expansion fees being 325, 350 million, whatever the amount uh, is, the league can and should be better, right? It can and should be better in terms of, you know, they need to stop restricting themselves from this, you know, what's it called? Like this really restrictive, you know, like, okay, the teams can't spend whatever, whatever. This team, the league can and should be better. So what gives these garbage ratings? These ratings are terrible and they need to improve or or else who's going to invest in MLS? I mean, if I was a TV, you know, company or whatever, I wouldn't invest in MLS with how many with their ratings. They're terrible. They're absolutely terrible. So there's a lot of problems for this league, um, and it's you know having sustainable growth because look, they're growing at such at such a speed that is it sustainable? I don't know. I really don't know. Jake, are you too fast? Are we are we expanding too fast? 
I think there's a legitimate argument to be made that they are growing too fast. Now you can put on your tinfoil hat, tinfoil Ted, first time we're breaking that out to your uh, in 2020, that the league is also using expansion fees to prop itself up to get itself to this uh, this big TV rights uh, deal that they're trying to negotiate with the network. So. Yeah, I, I think they, they might be. But here's here's the thing that I've always thought about with uh, that MLS, a problem MLS faces that the other four leagues in this country and Canada don't have to deal with. If you're a soccer fan, let's just say in pick a market, pick a market that doesn't have an MLS team. Uh, let's let's say, gosh, I was going to say Charlotte, but they, now they have, a, they have a team. Let's pa- say. We'll say El Paso. I don't know. El Paso or Cleveland or something like that. Uh, or Detroit. Here we go. Detroit's a great case because we know MLS really wants to be in Detroit and we know how that's going for them. If you're a fan in Detroit or a soccer fan in Detroit, why would you watch MLS when you have no regional reason to watch it? There's no geographical reason to watch it. You're going it, it, to, it's, it's, it's a second, third rate league. You're going to either watch Detroit City, which is lower than MLS, obviously, or your attention's going to be turned elsewhere, to the Premier League, to La Liga, to the Bundesliga, to Liga MX. And I think MLS looks at that and says, well, if we just get teams in every market, or just keep putting teams in markets, we're going to get viewers in those markets. We're going to give them a reason to watch our product instead of watching the Premier League. So like, the NFL doesn't have to deal with that. If you're an NFL fan in Boise, Idaho, you can't. you're, you're going to watch the NFL no matter what. So that's just my two cents on that. It's just uh, it's 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 the, the, it's expansion in MLS is much different than expansion in the NHL or the NBA. So, yeah, I uh, mean, look, I think uh, some of our listeners have been chiming in. They think USL Pro Rail could happen in, in the next couple of years. I think the big fear for club soccer is just never reaching that that next step regarding the league. We, we see a lot of expansion. The question is whether or not they can have a more competitive league with talented players across the roster. I do fear that's going to be a big problem uh, coming up. Guys, with the U.S. women's national team, I know we we are up against it. Jake, you alluded, Europe is catching up. Armand, the expectation is nothing but winning the World Cup. But where should these players be? Should we be expecting them to make the move overseas? Or should we want them to play in the domestic league here in America? I mean, we should want them to play here, but look, if they can if they can get more money somewhere else, or they can, you know, they should be the league obviously subsidizes them for the play here. But I mean, look, if if the competition gets you know a little bit better, I mean, if they want to make more money, then I see no problem if they want to go to Europe. Uh, NWSL needs a little bit more, like you know, they need more because players are getting frustrated. I think we see it with uh, the U.S. Women's National Team talk and all those things. Players are getting frustrated, and there has to be more done. I mean. If players want to stay in domestic league, incentivize them. If not, they'll go somewhere else. And I feel like it, it, it'll start happening at some point. Right, right, right. And then uh, you soccer guys, whew, we have problems. How many coaches do you think we have? Or, listeners, how many coaches are at the youth ranks? How many vacancies do we have? A lot. I know the answer because I'm looking at the tweet right now, so I'm not going <laughs> to say it. All right, tell us, Jake. Well, from our guy, Ives Galarsep, 
this as of December 27th, 2019. There are, as of that date, there were 13 coaching vacancies in the uh, youth ranks of U.S. soccer. It's not good. It's not no, good. No, uh, it's not, not good at it's all. A, it's it's uh, a dilemma. It's a big problem. We need to figure out the youth. But we're up against it. We're taking another break, listeners. On the other side, we're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team. Alrighty, fellas, let's talk a little expectations for this decade as it relates to the U, uh, U.S. men's national team. Now, Armand, the last year has been a little rough for the national team. Obviously, they did not qualify for the 2018 World Cup in Russia. So, for you, heading into uh, heading into this this new decade, the 2020s, the Roaring Twenties. You sound a little, uh, looking at my, my Google Doc here, looking at our notes, you sound a little hesitant on how or what kind of expectations to place on this national team currently. I mean, look, Jake, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, I'm so conflicted, man. Look, this could be an amazing time. Look at all this young talent we have. The more, the more we can see them play, a lot of them are going to Europe to play. The MLS Academy is growing. These homegrown players are finally coming together. You know, some of the older guys, they're, they're kind of eh, but, you know, those homegrowns look nice. Uh, but it could also be pretty bad as well, and we've seen the worst. We saw them, you know, lose to Canada for the first time in 20-something years. We saw them, again, not qualify for the World Cup in 2018. Will soccer grow this much as country? I remember uh, me and uh, my friend Tony Rubio, we— we watched a 2002 match against Germany, uh, the World Cup, the farthest U.S. has ever gone, where they got screwed out of that handball by uh, Torsten Fringe. 
And, man, there's such a difference between the two sides. The U.S. ran a 3-5-2 in the Bruce Arena, and they were really taking it to the Germans. Like, the Germans were on the back front. It wasn't like a – they were dom- – they're not dominating possession, but they were playing aggressive, you know, football. It wasn't like they are being shy, bunkering, or stuff like that. And they weren't trying to do anything too fancy either. It was just playing kind of direct football and playing through Landon Donovan on the wing. Uh, Brian McBride, obviously, in the middle. I mean, we can go on and on. Those guys had grit and heart and will. I don't know if any of those guys in the U.S. Men's National Team have that same grit and heart and that willingness to prove something. Willingness to prove something. Because, I don't know, this program's taken a step back since that 2002, and it should be steps forward. But all it's been has been, okay, maybe a little step forward, but all steps back. Start 2010, I thought they'd be a lot better, but now they missed the World Cup. Look where we are, guys. We're, we're stuck in this weird position. We have no youth coaches. People are leaving the national team program left and right. What's our identity playing-wise? Who's even playing for us? No one's like a Claudio Reyna or even a Greg Berhalter when he played. No one's like those guys. It's, it's disheartening. I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm pretty I – I hope they qualify for 2022. So, so what, is, what is the bar? It, it, it just qualifying for the World Cup? Don't we have to put it has, the, That's it. But the question is what? How many World Cups are there going to be this decade? You have 2022, Two. Two. 2026, and then you have the one in 2030. Does so, that count, though? Technically, no. But yeah. let, let's just look at it. Let's just look at the, the two World Cups, right? Those are going to really define this U.S. men's national team. Let's take the politics out of the situation with Qatar because we know that's already having an impact with this January training camp, which we'll talk about next segment. If the U.S. qualify for 2022, is there an expectation whatsoever to get out of the group? Obviously, it's going to depend whether or not they're in the group of death with Portugal and Germany. But let's just say they have an average draw. Their group, they should qualify to get out, right? Are we saying the round of 16 is the expectation again? No, they just need to qualify, man. <laughs> After so, missing a twenty eighteen World Cup, they just gotta qualify. So I'll be we, I'll be shocked if they make the if they actually if, if they were to get out of a group, let alone qualify for the World Cup in twenty twenty two. So so both of you are on record saying just qualify for the damn tournament in two thousand twenty two. After just missing twenty eighteen? Yep, just get in. See, I'm I, I have higher expectations. I think they need to have well, a I think that's. I think you should have higher expectations, but I also think uh, agreed. you can. I also think you can look yeah, but at what the does it send? The field what, and then have realistic expectations. But, okay, but what does it send to the players, to the coaching staff, to the federation that we're just like at this point? All you have to do is qualify, and we'd be satisfied. Are you kidding me? I. It's, I mean, it's it's a joke. We can't. If that is the expectation. That is the bar, especially in this first half of this decade. Then what are we doing? At this point, we might as well just wave the white flag and say, screw off. Because the expectation is so low. We've come so far to say, just qualify. I mean, the Cleveland Browns have expectations of winning the Super Bowl every year, but I also think they'd be happy if they just made the playoffs too. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay. They're, they're, They're... There's pie in the sky dream, and then there's realistic expectations, which is let's just get to the dance yeah, instead but, of. No, wait, wait, wait. But the there's nobody. Thing. I find I, 
God help us find this person out there, listeners, find this person that has the expectation and the realistic expectation of what? Making it to the semifinals? Nobody out there is saying, oh, the U.S. should make it to the last eight. Like, everyone's just, okay, they should qualify and probably get out of the group. I think the bar is the round of 16. If they fall short of the round of 16, yikes. Because what is the narrative the last several years, guys? What is the narrative around Greg Berhalter? It is youth. It is Christian Pulisic. It is Weston McKinney. It is Joss Chardin. It is this new generation of players. They're not playing in MLS. They're not playing for crap teams in Europe in, in, in little Slovenia or whatever it may be. No, they're playing for some of the biggest clubs. For hey, the pers- relax, Pennsylvania. Hey, look, look at Doncic, man. Relax, 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 relax. I thought you would get that reference, Armand. But the, the point being is, these players, there's an expectation to suc- to succeed and excel at their clubs to make a name for USA. If we cannot get a team organized around Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, where individually you sit there and go, like, wow, these are uh, Tyler Adams, individually pretty damn talented. They play for some of the uh, bigger clubs in England, in Germany, and the list goes on. If we can't put a team and assemble it and just to qualify for the World Cup and get out of the group, then all this youth talk is pointless and stupid, and everyone was wrong. Okay, but Steven, have you watched the U.S. men's national team in the last year? I don't care. You can, you, Jake, Jake, Greg Berhalter has his head up his, you know what, okay? He's got his head up his ass, thinking he's Pep Guardiola, thinking he has all the time to assemble a team where he gets to work with them day in and day out. That is what Greg Berhalter thinks he has. When in realistic expectation, he doesn't. He has too difficult of a system put on his players. These players don't have enough time to work on it. It may very well work with the players he has, but he doesn't have the time to put it up and and assemble it the way it should be. Correct. So... Why would you think it's going to that's going to change in the next two years? Oh, because I think Greg Berhalter will either get sacked or, or... – okay, well, no, okay, okay. Then riddle me this. Riddle me this then. We okay. know who's really calling the shots for the for, for U.S. soccer right now, and it's Berhalter's brother, okay? Jay, Jay Berhalter. Jay Berhalter, yes. Why – what indication has this federation given you that – they Greg Berhalter him. is close to being fired, this... or his seat is hot, or uh, uh, one bad result here, and it's it, he's going to get the sack. What here's the indication? What indication have you seen that, that that's that's coming at all? It's not from the federation. It's the fact that the fans don't care anymore. They they simply don't care. Win, lose, or draw. Yeah, you have your diehards, but frankly speaking, most American fans, most American soccer fans are dual nationals or have some sort of semblance of a dual nationality. Yeah, there, there's there's a contingent where it is strictly American. But look, two-thirds of this show, our legion just are, are torn between two countries when it comes to international soccer. I'm quarter Italian. I like the Italian national team. Oh, they got – they're qualified. Eh, U.S., whatever. At least they got the Italians, right? It goes on. You, you can make this up for – Think about Mexico, right? We call it U.S. Mexico is the biggest and most important team in this country. 
if the U.S. don't qualify, you still have Mexico to cheer on. We Landon Donovan was all behind El Tree. Oh yeah, Landon Donovan. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. You're right, Stephen. Our expectations should be higher. They should be. And but my expectation ain't gonna be that high. Um, yo, <laughs> no, no, you, I told you my expectation before. Like with the infrastructure and the facilities and everything this country has, honestly, the expectation should be to compete with the elite of the elite in soccer. But we, we have to pull back. We've got to be honest with ourselves. Can this team, under this, the same system with these MLS players that are eh, not that good, they continue to be the core of this team, continue to compete against those guys? No way. I don't think so. And I think, realistically, the first step is to qualify. Once they qualify, then I think we can make an adjustment to our expectations and say, okay, round of 16. Okay, semifinal. I'm just saying, whatever. But for right now, I'm expecting the bare minimum because they they have shown in the past that they can still disappoint okay, me, even if I expect the bare Ar- minimum. Armand, we expect the bare minimum, but I don't want to use realistic expectation. The, I, I need to find a different term, and listeners help us. But if you were to look at this in the vacuum, you look at the assembly of players, right? And you just look at it skill-wise. You sit there and go, man, this team is pretty good. Individually, you can find 15 players, 18 players, a roster. Or even 23 players. You sit there and go, man, this team can actually challenge and make it interesting. But they don't. Can it? I don't know. This is what I've heard the last 18 months. Christian Pulisic this. Tyler Adams this. This 20-year-old. This 18-year-old. two players I think they have two players who could become world class, and Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, uh, if he's healthy, by the way. So let's let's make that known. But I mean, as Weston McKinney, is he a world beater? Like Sergio Dest. Let's be let's be let's let's talk about Sergio Dest. He's probably been the only positive thing to happen to the to the on the men's side in the last twelve months, right? I think we all can agree to that, right? Him committing to the U.S. Yeah, over the Dutch, Netherlands. Yeah. That's that's probably the lone positive for the men's side and do you really i mean like let's let's really take a harsh step back here on Sergio Dest and think about it do you really think the u.s when they have to bunker down and defend do you really think Sergio Dest is cut out for that when he plays at ajax and they get to just throttle teams in the netherlands week in and week out do you really I, think josh I mean, Sargent? I mean, do you really think do we do we are we convinced that Josh Sargent is going to be the striker of the future? I mean, Armand, you said it before. They're, they're, after Josh Sargent, it's what Josie Altidore and then Bobby Wood. Who who else? Josie Sardes. I mean, who's the wingers? We were going to rely on Paul Ariola and Tyler Boyd, who now can't seem to find the field for Bashikas and looks terrible when he's on the national team. We're relying on no, Jordan yeah. Morris, man. Jordan Morris. Okay, great. Now we're here. We go. Now we're into the MLS player pool. You know, yeah. Reggie Cannon. Aaron Long, I mean, come on, the list. I mean, it's. I think fans and the media did a great job of trumping up or propping up this national team in the last few years. Like, oh, we yeah, got this but that's, kid over that's the problem. Oh, that's here. the problem. Now, and now, and now here we are, and it's like, well, there's Christian Pulisic and there's Tyler Adams, and he's healthy. I can see those two. Those are those are two very good players. You have Tyler Adams, who's the starting uh, starting midfielder for the first place team in Germany. And you have Christian Pulisic, who, uh, it, you know, has played heavy minutes at Dortmund. He's getting a good amount of time at Chelsea. He's been in the Champions League. But after that, what do you have? 
Weston McKinney doesn't have really does he really yeah, have a position it, at Schalke? But but Jake, compare it to other national teams. Yes, we're not talking about England, Spain, Germany, Argentina, Brazil. No, just screw that. Look at it from the rosters of twelve through twenty-two. Don't tell me the U.S. on a skill level can't sit there and put up a contest on an individual pl- player basis. Because you're right. And this is something I have complained about. We have propped up these players to be something that they're not. Rather than let them say, hey, look, there's a lot of potential around them. We just don't know. But we treat every 18-year-old who makes their voyage across the Atlantic as the second coming. And it's it's not right. good for, for them. It is not good for us fans. And it's definitely mm-hmm. not good for this federation when we have these expectations that we're going to have – an assembly assembly line of just world-class athletes playing soccer because that has not been the case and it might never be the case for this country. No, I think, I think you're right, Steven. I, I think, I think you're right. I think uh, anytime anybody ever is making a move to any club in Europe, the media and the fans get all hyped up and get all hot and sweaty over what, uh, what this, player could be regardless of skill level or club he's playing for so yeah why yeah it's it, we're going to wait and see how, how this all this new young talent chris richards uh all the paxton pomic all these guys who are either in europe or eventually going to make a move to europe how they all pan out but uh when we come back we're going to talk a little u.s men's national team training camp stick around Listeners at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod at Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast at gmail.com. Send in your thoughts. Question of the day. Going back here for a moment. To those who have followed American soccer as a whole for some time, what was being said about the state of the Federation of the U.S. men and U.S. women's national teams, domestic leagues, going into the 2000s and going into the 2010s 
decade. How does that compare to the transition of the Roaring Twenties? We want to hear it. Send in your thoughts. I've had quite a few of you already comment. But now, Armand, let's turn our focus to this training camp in which we threw out uh, a question not too long ago whether or not you were excited for it. And people seem to have a resounding, I don't care, or, yeah, whatever. A shoulder shrug. Right, yeah, a lot of people kind of have that weird shoulder shrug. Huh? But I'll be honest with you, Chief. I think Berhalter made it a little interesting. I think he made it a little bit interesting with this. With, oh, with this so team we should we should she we should actually be paying attention to this a little bit, yeah. And I chose I think four players that I'm really interested to see during this January camp because let's, let's be honest here, Berhalter did something really interesting by calling in player. He kind of listened to Twitter a little bit. If, if if that's a good thing, I'm, I'm not sure, but he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. That's he did. That's he great. Did. Listen, listen to so- U.S. Soccer Twitter for your for your roster, roster selections. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. that, that's gonna void well with the yeah with your we'll managers. See. Yeah, we'll see. But look, there there are four players that I'm looking at right now that I kind of enjoy. I, I'm kind of excited to see Steven, You know, I'm kind of excited. And All right, give it to us. The, what name should we be paying yeah. attention to? I'm going to start with goalkeeping with your, a revolution player. So, you know, you, you'll love this already. Yes, Matt yes, Turner. Yes. So let's be honest here, guys. Uh, Vito Minone won goalkeeper of the year, but it should have been Matt Turner, even though he played less games. Uh, his goals minus expected goals was negative 10.69, which means essentially he should have allowed 10 more goals than he did, which was the highest mark in MLS. He also played the least amount of games, or he also played like less games than most of the goalkeepers. But also look at this: going back to 2015, according to American Soccer Analysis, it's the third highest mark in league history, behind I think Stefan Fry and one other player. Can he continue to build in that strong season? Can he be maybe another uh, goalkeeper that they can add to the pool? I'm interested to see because he could potentially use this as a launching pad and maybe go to Europe or have a strong 2020 season in MLS and then maybe go to Europe after that. I'm interested to see how he's going to grow because he was really good in 2019. Jumping next to the midfield role, they got two midfielders. Both of them come from FC Dallas Academy. Think, who would have thought of that? And FC Dallas bias, even though I don't write, I'm not riding the beat anymore. Uh, the first one is Christian Kappas. Now, Kappas uh, was an FC Dallas uh, Academy player, but the league wouldn't sign him due to homegrown uh, wouldn't allow Dallas to sign him due to homegrown rules. Uh, now he's in Denmark playing plenty of minutes in the Danish Superliga under Hobro. And now I'm intrigued to see how he's going to be with these MLS players because it's so hard to compare leagues and maybe Danish league is worse than MLS. But how much worse is it? And can he play? He's kind of a holding six. So isn't that something we've talked about, Steven, as like a place where the men's national has been lacking behind a Michael Bradley? It's just no one. There's no one, right? There's no one. I mean, listeners at Unksam Soccer Pod, after Michael Bradley, who takes that position up? Right. Will Trap. Will Trap. Do we like Will Trap? <laughs> no. no, exactly. Exactly. So we don't stand Will Trap in this podcast. Remember that. Don't stand him. No. No. And we can't stand him. That's it. No. Exactly. <laughs> back to back. Didn't he have. Isn't it, it. Wait. I, I want to pause on Will Trap. And I, I know we are way out of time here, but Will Trap has really strange performances because he'll have some decent moments and then you sit there and go why is he ever selected with the US men's national team i i just wonder sometimes greg berhalter has been around for a year 
Why does he select some of the same num- names over and over and over? Can somebody question? Because they're his boys. Yeah, but what what does that bring? It, it, because w- for a long time, the theory was, well, they know the system. Whether or not they're good, maybe. Well, you know, for the first six months, these are players that know him, know what he they're looking for. Other players can look to them, and then you create an environment. You create a locker room that eventually these players may not actually be there for the U.S. men's national team when it comes to the big moments. But they have laid down, they planted the seeds for it to succeed under Greg Berhalter. But now I'm looking at it, I'm like, dude, what are you doing with Jossie Zardes over and over and over again? I don't know, Steven. I don't know. I can't. I I, I can't speak for Berhalter. And... We. I feel like we've been asking that question. For the yeah. Last exactly. Exactly. Nine months. Will Trap is another one. I don't. All right, Jake. I mean, Armand, give us a couple of more names that we are really focusing on, or now, should focus on in this training camp roster. Hundred percent. Now this is gonna be a big year for Paxton Pomacall. I mean, he started a bunch of games in 2019, but now he's healthy. He wasn't healthy actually during the. Uh, the not last call up he had, but now he's healthy. He was he's been a rising talent. He provides two way performances at the eight. He can play on the wing. He grew his first professional season. Now he has that you know that experience of playing one long year under his belt. It's time to see his maturity. Let's see what he has in this early uh, early outlook of, for twenty twenty. Let's see what he got. Let's see what he got. I'm interested to see how uh, Paxson is in this camp because I think he's talented. I think he's better than the guy that can roll on. So like, will he get in that? Will he get in that position? We'll see. And the final player I want to talk about is Yuli Lanez. Yanez, excuse me, the former LA Galaxy Academy player. One of the younger players called up. He Lanez has 10 goals and 3 assists in the U19 Bundesliga League uh, with Wolfsburg. Again, he's a player that provides dyna- dynamic uh, performances on the wing. Uh, something they know uh, this team could have opposite of a Christian Pulisic. Again, we don't know. I, I, honestly, I can probably tell you confidently the U19 German League is worse than MLS. But let's see how he performs amongst these guys. Does he deserve more? He's been climbing the ranks, uh, potentially making way for the first team. I'm really interested to see Yanez and Capis because we haven't seen them amongst the other guys. But now we have a chance to see them. So, he, you know, Berhold did a little something interesting during this uh, camp. I'm really interested to see how these four players play out. Oh, there you go. This roster, and this is the problem with the January training camp, right? A majority of the players come from MLS. So it is opportunity, but it also is limiting in the sense that the better players are in Europe and they don't get as much time with Greg Berhalter. A total of 22 on the roster come from MLS. 14 different clubs represented. FC Dallas leads the way with three names. Two players do come from abroad. Armand, you, you mentioned one of the names. You 19 forward for Wolfsburg, Yulnes, Linez, and midfielder Christian Kappes of the Danish Super League side, Haber. 12 uncapped players, 6 earning invites for the first for their first senior team camp. And yeah, guys, the Federation plans on having a friendly against Costa Rica February 1st at Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California. And Jake, Greg Berhalter had some comments regarding this team. Go ahead and uh, let the listeners know what he had to say. Yeah, Berhalter was quoted as saying, at the start of an exciting year, 
<laughs> this is a great opportunity to continue our process and build on the foundation established in the last 12 months. At the same time, wait, 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 wait. Pause, 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 pause. Has there really been a foundation established or has the foundation why, been quicksand? That's why I was laughing when I read that first sentence, <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. But I'm, I'm listeners. I'm, I'm trying to get the listeners here involved, Jake. So I'm sure they were laughing too. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're, we can all see through his, uh, through the, the BS in that uh, first statement, but Burhalter continued and I can't wait to read what he had to say. At the same time, Berhalter said, there are a number of players getting their first exposure to the senior national team who will provide the platform to make a positive impression. We appreciate all the support and cooperation from MLS and the clubs that released their players and gave us a chance to get a head start on the challenges ahead. And boy, Steven and Herman, there will be challenges ahead. <laughs> so... That brings us to our next question here. And listeners, you are more than welcome to chime in on this. Uh, We've already talked, you guys, talked a lot about this question here. But we're going to talk about it again because why not? <laughs> are, what's the excitement for this men's national team here? And I, I'm going to start with myself. There's none. There's zero. There's no reason to be excited for this national team. There's no reason to watch this friendly against Costa Rica on February 1st. None. Like Nothing. Like guys, how excited have you been to watch the last couple of US men's national team matches? Like did did either of you carve out any time whatsoever to watch them at all? Well, Jake, since we do a soccer podcast title, we, have, we, did, soccer we, did, podcast, we did covering lar- main parts of the US men's national team. <laughs> we did. We, we we did. We did. We did do that. Yeah. We we we, we definitely sat there for 2 hours wasting our time. Wasting our time. You guys, you guys are so full of it. They're being sarcastic. No one watched. No, of course not. How many people even showed up to the match? Like 8,000. No one did. No one did because they're not fun to watch. Like I, I, I harped on this earlier 20 minutes ago. Serginho Dest has literally been the only positive thing to uh, to happen to the national team this year. Beyond that, there's nothing that Greg or Jay Berhalter or Ernie Stewart can hang their hat on right now. Like there's nothing. None. I am not excited. I don't care. Wake me up when World Cup qualifying starts so I can watch you get ran over by Panama or Honduras or Mexico or Costa Rica or whomever. That's where I'm at right now. Well, there. okay, so Jake, there's no expectation for – I mean expectations. No excitement for – I'm with Jake. I, I'm not excited. The problem is we also don't play any meaningful matches, so it's kind of hard to get excited for. But Armand, you have the final say here before we get to the counterattack with Jake Watroba. How what, what's your excitement level? Player wise, I'm interested to see how these players work. System wise, guys, remember that inverted fullback? We're like, oh, he shifted in here, and then you know the left back became a center back, and the right back became oh a center God, mid. I remember that? You remember that? Yeah. And we're like yeah. trying to break it down, like Greg Berhalter was like Pipe Guardiola or something, and then they kind of abandoned it. Right? What happened in the Mexico match? They abandoned Greg Berhalter's philosophies against his wishes. Do you all remember this? And he said that the 3-0 loss was better than the 1-0 loss because they didn't abandon it. Because the players naturally didn't know how to play in that way. Yeah. I'm not going to care how he uses tactics and what he does and stuff like that. I'll look at them. Maybe I'll look for like the players and how they perform. But I'm not going to care until March and, uh, until other real friendlies go on because this is nothing. 
Really, Costa Rica F team? Come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> By the way, tra- training camp got moved away from Qatar. I, I do question, is it that important that they had the training camp in Qatar in 2020 okay, can, with the World Cup being in 2022? Like, why why did they need to get familiar with the facilities? Can it, I don't understand it, that. And then they're going like to play they friendly playing, in no. California on the other side of the world? It felt like they were putting the horse before the cart there. The cart, how the hell that phrase goes. What, maybe maybe ooh, they're going to do a Doc Rivers and put a hundred, you know, every player contribute a thousand dollars, put it in a bag and hide it in some compartment in the stadium and go, we're going to come back in 2022 and get our money like Doc Rivers and the Boston Celtics did in 2010 when they lost the NBA Finals to the Lakers. They did that at Staples Center. Did they get their money back? They did get their money back because they played the NBA Finals there. Look at them. Isn't that great? I'm so happy that, you know, yeah. Am I the only person I found it comical that they did this little, they, they tried having a training camp to familiarize themselves with Qatar? I, it's stupid. It's a waste. It's a waste <laughs> of travel time. Tell me what player sister gets excited to go across the world into a region where the tensions are quite hot. I know Qatar is rather safe, but ugh, unbelievable. Listeners, at Onksam Soccer Pod, we're going to get to a counterattack with Jake Latrova to close the show. Fast-paced, shifty movement, brilliant skill. It's the counterattack with Jake Watroba. And it's the first installment of the counterattack in 2020 and this decade. All right, boys, we got a few topics up for discussion here before we wrap this show up. I'm going to ask them, and we're going to get your opinions on it. This is going to be an international edition of the counterattack, so let's jump right in. Let's start over in Europe. Yes. Uh, the 
Top five in the Bundesliga are separated by seven points with Rosenball Sport Leipzig leading the league with 37 points with Borussia Mönchengladbach two points back, Bayern Munich three, and Borussia Dortmund and Schalke seven points back, respectively. Meanwhile, the top five in Serie A are separated by nine points with Inter and Juventus topping the table with 42 points, Lazio six points back, Roma seven at Atalanta nine points back. Guys, which league do you find more exciting to watch right now? Let's start with Armand. So this is going to be interesting, interesting perspective. And I don't know if you all agree with this or not, but I would say Syria strictly because it's so much easier to watch it. Whoa. It's so much easier to watch it. I can go to ESPN Plus, boom, boom, stream it onto my TV. It's as easy as one, two, three. Wow. But I was not expecting that answer from you. Yeah, exactly. I was not expecting it either. You got to make it. I think it's, it's, I'm sorry, I think that's fine. Yeah, you can easily watch it. I think it's the Bundesliga. I think the Bundesliga is the number one league. Yeah, that's fine. I guess, but I ah, Bundesliga is. St- I, I I mean, you have me there. You, you win in the sense of accessibility, but the Bundesliga is not impossible to find. You still get the Fox Sports One, Fox Sports Two, if you pay for it. Remember, the Bundesliga is going where next year? ESPN Plus, baby. All right, so, so but the, the Bundesliga back up the rankings. The Bundesliga right now is the best league to watch because it's the most fascinating. You have Bayern Munich, who are in sh- some what felt like shambles, but th- they turn it on and off. You have a, a Gladbach team that is that is fun to watch. You have Leipzig from Eastern Germany making a lot of noise. Obviously, you have Dortmund, Schalke. It's fun. And I think, Jake, why didn't you include the Premier League? That's like America's number one league to watch. We'll get to that next. We'll get oh. to that next, actually. That's that's I, that's a good segue, actually. I will say this. Uh, Ar- Armand's right. The accessibility with Serie A being on ESPN Plus this year makes it a lot more interesting. Although, I kind of side with Steven, too. I, I feel like I'm I'd... Not, I'd I'm, not saying, I'm not saying the quality of the football or anything like oh, that. That's I'm the question we're asking. Still- I'm asking what's more. What league is more exciting to watch, Armand? The question was not like. I can watch it more. I can watch it more on the league. The question was not. I don't have FS plus six, seven, wherever these damn channels are. Armand, the question was not like, which league is the easiest to watch? No. If you're giving me two options, which one is more entertaining? I'm just one I can watch more. All right, tie. Tie goes to the uh, Bundesliga wins. It's a tie, but Bundesliga wins because they have more Americans in the league. All right, let's move on. Let's go to the next question. I mean, Tyler Adams starts at Leipzig right now. I mean, come on. What's and you got Weston McKinney at Schalke. Let's what's what what more do you need there? Anyway, let's talk Premier League because Stephen brought it up, and I failed at doing a good segue now uh, or segue there. Let's talk about Liverpool. They're going to win the Premier League. They are 13 points up on second place. Left. Leicester City. The Reds have 58 points from a possible 60. Okay, so they've played 20 matches, 58 points from 60. Pretty damn good. They haven't lost a game. There's 18 matches left in the league schedule for Liverpool. Will they lose a game before no. the season ends, Stephen? No, 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 no. This is no. this no. is going to be the greatest Premier League season ever put together it's going to beat the city teams from the last couple of years on Pep Guardiola P- 
people are going to be amazed. What's nuts is the fact that Leicester City are second. That is an amazing accomplishment. And I was just talking to a buddy of mine. Leicester City are supposed to be Everton. Okay, everyone thought Everton was going to be the next team. And here come the Foxes. It's great. It's good for the Premier League to have changes. But the fact that Liverpool is running away from it makes me not care to watch whatsoever. So The only, the only race that matters is, is races like third, fourth, fifth, sixth place right now. That, that's the only reason yeah, why you that, watch the Premier League. Yeah, it's it's and, a matter and, of but, when Liverpool claim the Premier League. But also, are we watching if Liverpool finishes Invincible? Yeah, I mean, well. it's didn't people tune in to the Patriots just to see if they would lose a game at some point in the 2007 season? Yeah, yeah. I think as as we as those as we get underneath ten games, I think you're going to be way more invested into watching Liverpool and whether or not they drop a game. And remember, they can they can tie. So a tie at that point is as good as as good enough as a win because Liverpool have so many have such a gap on everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's. In, I, I have no interest in watching Liverpool play at all right now. Uh, like I said, I think that it's the Premier League is a little bit more compelling when you get more towards that three, four, five, six, the, the, those spots in the table. I think that's the only reason why you'd watch. But let's move on here. Uh, I'm gonna butcher a lot of this because it's all in French, and we all know I can't speak French. So Stephen, you know French, so you can help me out here uh, <laughs> if you would like. I thought this was pretty cool. Oh, I, I saw God. this this morning, and I thought this would make a good uh, counterattack. Uh, a segment here. So how cool is this? Do either of you know where Reunion Island is? No. I know where Reunion Tower is. It's in Dallas, <laughs> but not Reunion Island. That's is. good. Reunion, I like that. Reunion Island sits just off the uh, eastern coast of Madagascar. Okay? Okay. Amateur side JS... I'm going to butcher this now. Amateur side JS St. Perrois. hope I'm saying that right. Traveled six thousand miles for a french cup match against second division side new york hope i said that right and won two to one now clubs from french guyana reunion island martinique guadalupe mayotte new caledonia tahiti st martin and st pierre and michelon are able to compete in the Coupe de france st perrois are now the second ever over ever made a run in the U.S. Open Cup. Our teams from Guam allowed to participate in the U.S. Open Cup because that's technically an American territory. Armand, how, how cool is this? That how is cool really is cool. This? That's actually really cool. That's actually probably the coolest things you ever pulled out. Wow, Jake. Put a Props that's really to you cool. on that one. Props to you. That's really cool. And no, a team from Hawaii or Alaska hasn't made a run through the U.S. Open Cup. But that'd be super interesting if they ever did uh, make something like that. And that was it. That's actually really cool. I don't know what to tell you. That's super dope. I didn't know that about the the coup de France that all those the territories could participate. It's super interesting. I'm about to tune in now. Shoot. Yeah, Stephen, do you have any take on, on this uh, on the story That's, here? No, it's great. I, I do question now. I'm, I'm thinking like a team from Hawaii or Alaska. Wouldn't that be something? And, and I don't know if they even part, if there's teams in the uh, in uh, Hawaii or Alaska who even participate in the Open Cup. I'm not sure if that's even a thing. But I just thought no, this that great when I was story. This, story I, this is fantastic. This, this is this is what soccer is all about and this is what 
we love about the sport is these these teams making these runs or these a, a player you know Jamie Vardy uh, and Golo Kante coming from from rags and becoming rich for a lack of a better term yeah yeah fun fact before we move on to our to our uh, last uh topic here uh dimitri payette actually played for this amateur side in reunion island uh saint perrois uh way back when you know remember dimitri payette used to play for west ham wow that's, for that's actually really, wow. Yeah, you, you, wow that's bad for, Dude, this is uh-huh. this is probably the best best we've done honestly respect uh, th- right respect respect and okay we'll touch on this really We'll, we'll touch on this here really quickly. Uh, is Serie A retirement league now that Zlatan Ibrahimovic is going to no, play no, for Milan no. on Monday? Yes, 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 no, yes. No, 100%. no. Yep, okay, 100%. and finally. The, the question finally. is if Ibra scores like 20, okay, 15 goals, people will be happy. Okay, but we're, final question, Jake. Wait, wait, touch on this before we go, though. Finally, with the recent events in the Middle East as it relates to the U.S. and Iran, do either of you think the 2022 World Cup will be held in Qatar? I'm leaning no. No. I'm starting to lean no. There, what? He, here's what FIFA's got to ask itself. What fans are going to travel to the Middle East? I'm not. <laughs> I'm I certainly am. not. Well, I got family there too, fam. Sheesh. I'm, a, I'm not built like y'all. No, 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 no. But uh, look, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's a reference to. Well, I, you can figure it out. Yeah. All right, well. Fair enough. Anyway, anyway, that's it. That's the counterattack. There it is. There you have it. And that's the show. I'm doing the rap here, Steven. I'm wrapping it up. I'm doing the rap here. Thanks for listening to us. You can follow the show on Twitter at Pod. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker. I don't know. Wherever you get your podcasts, we're on there. iHeartRadio. Uh, you can follow Armand Kafai at Armand Kafai. Armand, you're no longer on the FC Dallas beat, so you do not have to follow him for FC Dallas hot takes anymore if you don't yep. want to. MLS hot takes now, baby. MLS hot takes now, baby. Maybe something in the works later on. Maybe there's an announcement. Who knows? Mm-hmm. We are now going to do, uh, make sure you follow Stephen Jodderan at Stephen Jodderan. You can follow myself at Jake Petroba. Every Sunday, 8 o'clock Central Time, we'll be doing this live. So make sure you tune in. We will uh, you know, look for the link on Twitter. We'll send it out you know, 10, 15 minutes in advance or five minutes in advance, whenever. Look for the, look for the link. You know, Tune in. Send us your questions. We always appreciate it. We're going to have fun with this. Uh, for Armand and Steven, I'm Jake. We will talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. Dunkin's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound. Not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.